we really wanted to actually draw attention to the fact that we were using waste as you know something that someone could actually love because the the rule is like if you're going to try to do something eco-friendly or if you're going to try to do something that is perceived charitable the main rule number one is that the product has to be great even if it wasn't eco-friendly i'm not buying this because it's a charity i'm buying this because i love this t-shirt and added bonus it's they've thought through this entire process so it's really this net neutral or even net positive garment that like feels good at the same time. One of the most prevalent issues facing brands in 2019 is the environment. Rising concerns about global warming, waste reduction and sustainability, coupled with the endless amount of information available to us on the internet, has turned everyday consumers into armchair watchdogs. And for good reason. Now, more than ever, we expect the brands we buy to do the right thing, to lead with their values and to speak candidly about their business practices, especially if they're targeting a younger demographic. For many direct-to-consumer companies, the idea of sustainability is more than just an issue. It's a core pillar of their brand. Today on Retail Radio, we're talking to Iris Alonso, the founder of sustainable clothing company Everybody.World. Together with her business partner, Carolina Crespo, Iris has spent the past two years building a brand on a foundation of ethical and transparent practices. In doing so, they've amassed a wide range of devotees and masterminded some truly revolutionary ways to develop and create product. This is Mia Douglas. And this is Ali Cummingor, and you're listening to Retail Radio, where we take a look at the state of retail with the entrepreneurs, innovators, and experts that know it best. On this episode, we're discussing fashion and sustainability with someone who's been close to it for a very long time. As one of the two founders of sustainable fashion brand Everybody World, Iris Alonso has helped to pioneer new ways of thinking about how clothes are designed, manufactured, and worn. We recently spoke to Iris via phone from her home in Los Angeles. So my name is Iris Alonso, and I'm the co-founder and uh, creative director of Everybody World, and we make... um, clothing in Los Angeles, clothing and other goods in in Los Angeles. And um, our goal is to figure out a a new way to do apparel and retail and, you know, basically participate in the the world of consumption, giving people things that are useful and and things that they need in their lives without, uh, without it being at the expense of people and the planet. So, we're, um, our, our three kind of brand pillars are workers, ecology, and ideas. And that is, those are kind of like the immutable, um, things that come first with every, every garment that we decide to put into existence. Um, and, you know, our, my background, um, and also my business partner, Carolina's background, um, is, you know, for the last, I guess, from, about 2000, the year 2000 until 2015, um, we were working with American Apparel. Um, and when we started, there were no retail stores. It was a, you know, a big company, but kind of a small company that no one had really, not many people had heard of. It was only wholesale at that point. So when we came on, um, we basically helped the transition from just being kind of a behind the scenes playing t-shirt provider to what it, kind of evolved into as, you know, and I'm sure, I'm sure you're, I don't, that, that requires no explanation. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, um, so I was the creative director and Carolina ran several divisions in the company. 
And, um, you know, when that all, when that all came to a screeching halt in 2015, we sort of reexamined what we, well, first we decided to partner up on something and then we sort of reexamined, you know, what we were really good at, which is manufacturing and brand building and, um, and ways in which we would do things differently, um, given the opportunity to sort of control things from the start, um, and sort of make these micro decisions that sort of add up to bigger decisions that, you know, can impact, have a big impact on, um, you know, environmental and kind of workers' rights uh, things. And that's, that's, what, that's how we, so we launched two years ago and here we are. <laughs> that's crazy. I mean, I guess what is, from where I'm sitting two years ago, like it was not a very long time and you guys have seemed to grow and from like a branding and marketing standpoint, like the name's really out there or out there in some ways. Um, I guess, what were your hopes? Are you like, is there a goal to scale um, or stay small? Well, we definitely want to scale to a certain extent. We don't exactly know you know, we, we want to scale until it doesn't, until it doesn't make sense anymore. And I don't know what the end game is. This is all kind of a big experiment, you know, at a, at a certain point, it's like how, you know, when, at what point does a corporation or a company or a business start losing sight of the core values that they had in place in order to remain profitable? Um, and that's kind of like the big question. And this, you know, we as in the world is in the position that we're in is because everything was done. Like it was like, it doesn't matter who or what you're screwing over, like anything to get to the next level of profitability um, yeah. or even just to maintain profitability or to get out of debt or whatever it is. It's all, you know, that's always coming at a cost. And that's kind of what we're, we're trying to see like, okay, so is there like a breaking point? Is there, like what happens where that becomes the the driving force in the business as opposed to perhaps, you know, something more altruistic that you started out with? I guess, I mean, that kind of leads me to my next question. For you, do you want to talk just a little bit about the core brand values and also maybe a little bit about your core brand values? I'm sure, you know, there are probably things you had in your mind when you were going into American Apparel and working there and, and then what you wanted to do afterwards. Yeah, um, so our, our core brand values, um, we, you know, there are a few things that we say over and over. The main thing, um, that we kind of include in everything we do is workers, ecology, and ideas. And that means simply, um, making sure workers means that we're making sure that the people who are literally working the hardest and have the most skill in the equation are, are, treated fairly, are paid, uh, are paid living wages. We do at this point, a hundred percent of our manufacturing is done, uh, in, in the United States with about 95% of it done in Cal in Los Angeles, where the minimum wage is 1250 an hour. So, um, we're making sure, which, you know, in contrast to the kind of going, the going rate around the world, which is like an average of 50 cents an hour, it's that, um, it's pretty, you know, that's obviously a huge, a huge difference. Um, but, but it's really just making sure that, 
in the equation of making a garment that that is first and foremost the people that are at the most vulnerable and the people that are bringing I think the most value to the to the equation are really treated as treated as such um, and um, you know so that's that and then ecology um, that's really thinking about the impact that each garment has on the planet where that starts with you know, the, the farms where the cotton is grown, we work exclusively with biodegradable materials at this point. Um, and, you know, that means that we just want to make sure that, okay, we're putting, we're putting something on the planet. It's designed to last a lifetime and perhaps even another lifetime if it ends up at a thrift store or something like that, or it gets passed down. Oh, hey, kid, this is my favorite sweatshirt from 2019, you know. Um, so that's kind of the dream. But if something ends up in the landfill, um, at a certain point, we want to make sure that it's going to biodegrade before, before we, you know, before we we leave the earth. Whereas now, pretty, I, I think it's something close to 80% of garments are made from uh, from polyester, which is you know made from oil. Which means that, and the average life cycle of a garment is only two to three wears at this point, which is really crazy. So if that ends up in a thrift store and doesn't sell, or if it ends up in a in a landfill, that that garment made from polyester is going to be on the planet for like like close to a millennium, which is so it's so abstract it's almost comical, but it's also like wow, we're really making fast fashion to never go away, you know, which is kind of yeah. So that's um, so we're just we're, we we kind of consider the planet as like our silent partner, you know. It's like some it's it's really. Um, it's, you know, we almost think of it as like a, a human or something, like someone that we that we really want to we want to think through every single move that we possibly can. And of course, we're always making improvements. We're always finding things that we could have done better. And it's not a perfect process by any means. But the things that we know, if we know that there's something we can do that can make the process more ecologically friendly, and we and it's in our it's in it's like feasible for us to do it. That's a hundred percent what we'll do. We'll never turn. We've made an agreement with ourselves, which means that we just, you know, just you can't turn the other cheek. You can't just kind of turn a blind eye to, to doing the wrong thing if you know. So, um, and then ideas is is really um, making sure that the person that conceived the idea, kind of like finding the origination of a concept and making sure that that person or or organization or whoever it is that that kind of came up with that idea is taken care of um, in the in the equation of this you know of of making and selling a garment. It's like are we are we respecting that the person that that had the idea? Because there's just there's so many great ideas in the world and there's so many people that kind of have them and and shoot them off here and there. And then there are a lot of people that make make a lot of money from those ideas, but usually it's never the originator, which is interesting. So we really just try to keep that in mind through the whole process and, and also celebrate the person that, that conceived the, the product that we're making. One of the most important things to remember about building an environmentally responsible brand is that it's not easy. Throughout our conversation with Iris, she pointed out that doing the right thing often made it difficult to scale and always affected the company's bottom line. For legacy brands, developing more sustainable business practices can be even harder but it can also yield great rewards. Studies have shown that most Americans say the country should do whatever it takes to protect the environment. Similarly, research indicates that environmentally friendly companies have more loyal and more emotionally invested customers. 
And the benefits don't stop with the consumer either. Employees of socially and eco-conscious businesses tend to stay in jobs longer and work harder because they feel a sense of solidarity with their employers and a sense of pride in their work. And as more members of Gen Z enters the workforce, companies can bet sustainable practices will be a huge factor in acquiring new talent. While there is no one-size-fits-all solution to making a business more sustainable, innovation is often at the heart of big change. That could mean rethinking packaging solutions or doing away with antiquated payment methods. Or in everybody world's case, in reimagining how an age-old product can be made. I want to talk a bit about the, fa- the fabric that you guys have developed. Um, mm-hmm. I guess from just like an ideation standpoint, how did that come to be? At what point in the company's lifespan did you start thinking about doing something like that? So that came like a year before we launched the company. Um, and, you know, it basically was like post-American apparel, we would get a lot of calls from former colleagues and friends and people saying like, okay, well, American apparel's gone to shit. Like, where do I get my t-shirts for my restaurant or whatever now, you know? Um, and we, Carolina and I were like, we can make t-shirts, you know, like, you know, we know how to make fabric, we know how to cut, we know how to do all the things that are required to make a shirt, like, let's just start making some shirts, and we're like, okay, and then when we kind of, so we just started making basic t-shirts in LA, sort of unbranded, we didn't even really have a brand name at the time, um, and it was just kind of like a an exercise and also a way to have an income, and um, we... Um, you know, and then as we formed the concepts for Everybody World, we thought, okay, so we'll have this contributor collection, but we really want to have basics that go alongside alongside it. But we were really, like, very conflicted with continuing to participate in sort of the, the, prob- the waste problem that the apparel industry has. There's just so much waste at every step of the process, and it's like... It's one of those things, like I said, it's like if you know about it and you can, and you do, and you continue with the status quo without trying to make it, it's like you're, you're just like complicit and we wouldn't, we would, we would rather go get a job at like a cafe and, and just never like walk away from apparel than continue to be a part of this, this problem, you know. So we said, okay, well, and at, towards the tail end of American Apparel, we had been working with, um, some recycled yarns which basically take cutting scraps from factories and then they blend them up with polyester to sort to strengthen them and then turn it into a new yarn. Um, the only thing is we didn't want to use, we didn't, definitely didn't want our first T-shirt to have polyester in it. We wanted it to be 100% cotton, but we were like, let's do a recycled cotton T-shirt. So we called that yarn company and they said, well, we would have done it. Could it have been done? It doesn't exist. So you better, you know, just get on board with the polycotton stuff. And we were like, that just seems weird. Like, how could it not, how could you not make it, not be able to do something from recycled cotton? Um, and we really kind of dove into this, the whole process and in, in how, how it's made and why it needs the polyester. And then we thought, well, what if we start earlier in the, in the manufacturing process? Because don't forget, manufacturing garments starts at the, the raw material source for the yarn that gets made into the fabric, which in the case of cotton, obviously, is a farm, and in the case of polyester, it's oil, and 
all of that, and, and there's many other fabrics that have different sources. So we said, okay, well, what if we trace it back to the very beginning and look at what their waste stream sort of looks like? Maybe because it's less processed, it will be a stronger sort of fiber, and you won't need to add polyester to it. So we called this yarn company that we've worked with for decades, and they um, they're one, they happen to be one of the biggest yarn companies in the world, and they happen to do most of their they, – they're all over the United States, mostly in the south and, and kind of the, the center of the, the country. But um, they um, – so we went to them, and we actually went to visit them in the Carolinas, and we said, okay, like how much waste do you guys have, and do you think we could try to capture that waste and turn it into a new yarn? And at first they said, well, we certainly have a lot of waste, but no, you can't make it into a new yarn, and no, it would never make a T-shirt. So we were kind of dejected, but we're like, well, we're already here. Let's just see what we can. Let's just see what we can do here. Um, first, let's see the waste. So they take us over and they show us these like giant bales, like I don't know, two to five thousand pound bales of like what looks like dirty cotton. Basically, it's like it looks like giant dust bunnies all compacted into this bale. And we're like, okay, that looks like a lot. How much of that do you have every whatever year, month, or something? And he says, well, we've got about 500, 500 to 600,000 pounds a week at one plant. And we have 45 plants in the South. So that was like mind-blowing to think about that much waste a week coming out of one plant, 500,000 pounds. A T-shirt is half a pound of cotton. That's a million T-shirts a week. If we could figure out how to make that into fabric, <laughs> that's a waste stream that could that could literally support, at the peak of American Apparel's business, they were making a million T-shirts a week. Like that, so that was like a quick math that we did, and not that we have the aspirations to grow to American Apparel size or anything, but it's like, oh, my God, we could have, in theory, consumed this entire waste stream and never touched any virgin cotton, you know, in the entire process if we can, fig- if we can figure out how to use it. So we convinced them to spin it into, to make it into a new yarn. It was like, you know, they didn't like doing it. They told us no. They were, like, very reticent to the whole idea. They basically, it was like, you know, and these are, like, good old boys in, in the South, and they do not, like, let's just say that, that women are not always at the top of the the kind of business food chain. So that was like an extra hard battle, you know, just kind of like basically forcing them, forcing them to do it based on our, like, you know, the fact that we've known them for so long. So they tried it. They said, well, actually it didn't, the yarn's not so bad. We're going to send it to you in LA and go ahead and see if you can make it into a fabric. So long story short, and I'm sorry, this has gotten very long, but um, we, we turned it into um, a fabric. It felt disgusting. It felt like wearing a cotton ball or something. It was like, oh, like gross. But we like, try, look, we made a T-shirt. Try it again. Try it again. So they kept sending us yarn, sending us yarn. Eventually, we got it to where it was like pretty good. And we showed it to some friends. And they're like, it's not perfect, but it's pretty damn good. And then we started just making it and getting better at it and getting better at it. And then when we had this sort of, what we said, actually, that's a damn good t-shirt. We said, okay, what are we going to call it? And that's where we came up with the trash tea because we really wanted to actually draw attention to the fact that we were using waste as, you know, something that someone could actually love. Because the, the rule is, like, if you're going to try to do something 
you know, eco-friendly or, or if you're going to try to do something that is, you know, like somehow perceived charitable, the main rule number one is that the product has to be great where someone's like, yeah. even if it wasn't, even if it wasn't eco-friendly, I'm not buying this because it's a charity. I'm buying this because I love this t-shirt and added bonus. It's, they've thought through this entire process. So it's like really this net neutral or even net positive garment that like feels good at the same time, you know? So, um, so that was kind of the thing. And then we launched with that. And since then we've kind of, um, you know, we're trying to make it, can we make the yarn thicker? Can we make it into fleece? Can we make, you know, can we do wovens with this? And our goal is that, you know, hopefully this time next year or a little later than this time next year, we'll have our entire collection made from, uh, recycled, reclaimed um, cotton. So, I mean, it's beyond inspiring. It's also just very, very cool. Have people oh, reached out you. slash, have you reached out to others about, I don't know, it's selling the idea or information sharing or, I mean, if once you perfect something like this, it at least has the potential to kind of revolutionize a chunk of the industry, right? I I mean, I think it could. I think that there's, I think it has potential for sure. It definitely has potential to grow. And I think it has also potential to evolve. And I want to, you know, we're like, I think that if we are to really look into scaling this bigger than, you know, where we're at right now, then I I think that it's something where we'll want to bring in like, you know, data analysts and scientists yeah. and people from the engineering community and really, really look at it. Like we definitely, you know, you have to learn, you have to learn more before you can really do that. But I, but in my, my instinct is that, yeah, this could be scalable and it could be something that, um, that could have some sort of impact on, you know, on the, on the way things, the way that things are made, you know, and, and frankly in the next, like, few years with the way everything's going with climate change and how that's affecting crops and things like that, like we're going to need alternative solutions to like just using virgin materials every single time we want to put something on the planet. You know, it's like we're going to have to start using what we've already made because there's so damn much of it, you know? Um, So I hope so. I want to talk a little bit about, I mean, trend forecasting in the larger sense of the term um for you like are there other brands that are inspiring everybody world or inspiring you personally from a sustainability standpoint are there things that you're looking to that you're like okay these people are doing it right or they're at least doing something interesting yeah i mean a big one that always comes to mind and it might be obvious but i think that that patagonia is um Patagonia is very interesting. I think that philosophically they're, you know, they've done some things, especially recently. Like I love what, I love that they're like no more custom vest for tech guys, basically for mm-hmm. like VC funds that want like matching Patagonia vests with their like cat, like their hedge fund name on it. No more. <laughs> that's not our, like that's not what we're here for. Okay. Sorry. Until you start putting, you know, until you start putting your yeah. money where your mouth is, you don't get to wear our stuff. 
which I think is like that to me is is kind of epic and amazing. We don't have that luxury yet. We basically, you know, we still have to take every single job that comes our way. But one day maybe we'll be able to say, actually, you know what, so and so tech company, we think you suck, and we're not going to take this. So <laughs> until then, no, we keep. Um, but um, so, but I think that they're they. I mean, they've dedicated a big chunk of their their resources, both in like personnel and uh, their, you know, I think their sale from their a big percentage of their sales goes back into furthering research, how their processes impact the environment basically and how they can improve upon that. And they have a really kind of, you know, very extreme vetting process. And I think that they're they're actually walking the walk in that, um, you know, and I don't think they're perfect. And I don't think they think they're perfect. Um, they still do make a lot of things that just aren't biodegradable and um, and are made from virgin re- virgin resources. And I think that, you know, when there when there's manufacturing offshore and you don't have and it's not like your own factory, even if it is your own factory, if you're not there or someone that you completely trust is not there on site with their eyeballs on what's happening. Like you cannot, you just can't guarantee uh, that it's done completely ethically from start to finish, you know? So, so I think that obviously they have some, there's room for improvement everywhere, but that's kind of the name of the game. That's where we are right now as businesses. It's like, you have to, you have to just keep putting one foot in front of the other with your core values in mind you know um it's you're never just like cool we're profitable so we made it it's like what's next and the world is changing continually so i think they're very interesting and you know there are a lot of small businesses small brands that are i think doing very cool stuff with uh remaking things from you know from scratch i think that um anyone that's encouraging like you know Secondhand buying and selling, I think, is is on the is on a good track. Um, and um, yeah, there's. I think. I think. Uh, I mean, I can send you a couple specific names later if you want me to. But um, um, yeah, that's kind of what comes to mind right now. Um, do you want to talk a little bit? I, I should have asked you this in the beginning about how you both eventually settled on the name and in addition what what the perfect everybody world customer is or what the ideal everybody world customer is <laughs> um so we the name kind of came from the concept of you know it was like it's you know, it's not going to be designed it's not a top down design approach it'll be designed by everybody it won't and it won't just be you know, influencers, and it won't just be, like, the path of least resistance, which is our friends. It's, like, something aspirational and people from all walks of life. And and really, so it really was this sort of everybody concept. And then the dot world sort of came about um, when Caroline is like, okay, I'm going to go get, I'm going to get the website going and this and that. (laughs) And she's like, well, obviously we can't get .com, but... Uh, and we can't get everybody.net, but what about everybody.world? And I was like, ooh, it was when all the URLs would come out, like the new the new uh, extensions had come out, and I was like, I love that. Let's do it. So we went with everybody.world and then realized in the process of that, 
instead of just calling ourselves everybody, we should make the world actually part of our name because it's quite, it's like also kind of symbolic and, and it had, it has, it's kind of weird. Like everybody world is kind of weird, but to us, it was a good weird. Um, and, uh, and we just kind of ran with it. I, there was no like, like there's definitely no focus group there. We just were like, <laughs> yeah, cool. That's what's available. Let's make it our name. <laughs> so, and it worked out. <laughs> um, is there a customer? I mean, like when you guys are developing designs, is there a customer of mine or is it truly meant to be literally in everybody? I really think it for us, it's like we, we try to imagine ourselves and our, you know, ourselves wearing it and we want to make sure that the person who is conceiving it um, loves it. And like, we try to think about, you know, a big part of our business with the, with the t-shirts and, and other kind of like basics we make um, is, is wholesale. So, you know, we have this business model that's like, you know, it's like a good chunk of our sales um, where people buy in bulk and then they customize it for themselves. So we're trying to think of, you know, like what would be the best T-shirt for a museum or uh, an art gallery or a band or something like that. What's kind of like a good universal, you know, like forward-thinking fit. Like we're not trying to appeal to necessarily the masses from a fashion point of view. Like we think that you know, taste kind of, kind of trickles down in a way, I guess. But um, we're, so we're, you know, we're trying to be a little bit, a little more forward with our, with our bodies and, and like meaning our, our the silhouettes. And, um, and, but it's, it's really, it really is kind of an everybody thing. Um, but what, what it's proved, what our demographic looks to be, at least from, you know, the limited information we have from, Google Analytics and, and, you know, like Shopify and like the kind of, you know, Instagram, whatever. It seems like it's a, it's like a early 20s to, to mid 40s is like our sweet spot, um, uh, mid to late 40s. And, and then there's, interestingly, there's like kind of a good group of people that are over, that are over 60, um, that, that shop with us and they just kind of buy like, the t-shirts over and over again and they gift them to people and they and they do it kind of, you know it's, it's been an interesting sort of process um getting to know our customer base but and then there's also a, a pretty young customer too that's more like you know that, that are they're probably 13 to, to 18 and I think that you know there's idea in a, in a dream world and I really think that and I think that this is what's happening. I, I feel like people are coming, they're finding us either through, either through our contributors or something that's been written about our contributors or something like that, or it's people that are looking for, quote, eco-friendly um, clothing, you know, because I do think that this concept of like, oh God, I never really, I, like, people have this idea that clothing just like grows on trees or something. Like it's just, it's just like, it just like falls from the sky and it's there, but they don't realize like how much work, like we're going back to pulling, like people are pulling oil from the earth to make this, yeah. like this garment. I think that that is coming more into the realm of public consciousness, especially in the younger generation. Um, and I feel like 
I mean, in all generations, but especially in the younger generation. And there, that is sort of, I think, like we're seeing that in in our sales, basically. That's good. I we, I I spent this chunk of today talking to a 25 year old who lives out here who's just, I mean, she's just like the true definition of a shopaholic. And uh huh, it's it's just wild to like, and we interviewed a counterpart of around the same age. Um, who's on like a clothing fast currently and is not buying anything for the better part of six months um, because she was worried that she was like developing habits and is thinking really like, you know, very thoroughly about sustainability and how the amount of money that she saved over the past six months, she can now buy things that are both like ethically made, but also will last longer. And it was just like two different worlds of conversation um, with two young women who have a lot in common. And it's just, Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting to hear you talk about the like different dynamics and the different ways that people are coming to your stuff. Yeah, I I love hearing that. I think that that's you know, and there has to be there. I think that there will be more and more people that sort of go the way of the you know the more thoughtful consumer. Um, but also, it's like we're kind of battling or coexisting or whatever with like this sort of Kardashian movement where yeah. or Jenner movement where it's just like consume, 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 like get it as get as much as you can for as cheap as you can, to look as good as you can while we're here. And it's like so it's just it's a very like short sighted kind of perspective, you know, that we're just trying to like counteract. So very interesting. Very cool. Um, and then the big question, which uh, feel free to answer as widely or wildly as you want, but what do you think the future of retail is? Um, well, I don't know exactly like big picture for everyone, but I know that for us, we're really thinking about things that are um, certainly not traditional. Um, like there's no, there's, there's no like vision in any in any of our plans over the next five years or whatever. It's like never are we signing a retail lease where it's like we're sitting there in a store waiting for people to like walk by and come inside. You know, it's like that is not that's not how we see the future of retail working working for us. But there are some kind of actually old school concepts that I think can be modernized and tweaked for the modern era that I think could be really interesting. One of them, um, like we're working on a concept that's sort of like, it's sort of like a, like a a modern day Tupperware party where Mm -hmm. it's like, so you have, say you have this super fan in, you know, Ohio or something. And, they're like, I love Everybody World. I bought this T-shirt. I've gifted one to my friend. I love it. I know my friends would love it. Could you guys do a pop-up shop here? And it's like, mm, we're probably not going to do a pop-up shop in, in Ohio anytime soon. But what if you went online, you thought about, like, you put down a credit card for sort of a, you know, like to, to secure the goods or something like that, and we send you, you order everything that you think your friends would like. We send it to you in a box. We kind of, maybe we give you like playlists or cocktail ideas or whatever, you host a party at your house, you invite your friends, everyone gets to try it on, 
they buy what they want and you get a percentage of the sales and send back what doesn't sell. You know, something like that, like that sort of idea. And my mom wasn't really a Tupperware party type of lady, but I definitely know friends' moms who were doing that sort of thing. And it's, it's, that's like what they did. Like they would host parties, cook dinner, send people home with Tupperware, with the food and the Tupperware, where everyone would be like, here's a check for my Tupperware, you know? Yeah. And it's a way that, and I think that that sort of model, and this kind of plays into this sort of gig economy where it's like, again, not everyone's cut out to be an Uber driver. Like, mm-hmm. there, but what are the, what is the Uber for creatives? Like, what is the Uber for, um, you know, like retail-ish people or, or whatever, you know? So I think that something like that, I think is like, that could be an interesting, that's something that we're looking at at least. Um, I don't know if it would be for everyone. I think it really has to, I think that's going to depend on the brand, like whether or not people are into adopting that sort of concept. Um, and then, um, you know, I think these, I think that unique real life experiences um, where it's not just, it's not just like, one thing that really bothers me um, is is this con- the pop-up shop where it's so for example Everlane and I happen to know the people that own the company and I would I wouldn't want to like I probably wouldn't say this to their face unless we had we unless they asked, they were asking me for this sort of input but they like they had a pop they have a pop-up shop in downtown right now and yeah. you know and they had one a few months ago or uh, yeah six eight months ago they had one for it to launch like to, they do these for their launches so they had denim launch and then they had no, their shoe yeah. launch and. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, you know, this is a company that's very, you know, quote, radically transparent about their processes and making things, and there's, you know, that's vaguely questionable in some ways, but whatever it is, that's their marketing, you know, and that's what they're putting out there, but the, I know for a fact, personally, that they're spending hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on the build-outs of these pop-up shops that last for three, anywhere from three days to one week. And at the end of the thing, I said, well, what are you going to do with all this stuff you built? Like they custom build out an entire space. And he's like, mm-hmm. well, he's like, it's too, he's like, it's too expensive to ship it back. We just throw it away. He's like, why do you want some of it? And I was like, not really, but like, quite the, but my point is, it's like, why don't you do like couldn't you come up with another like make something modular you're gonna keep doing these shops like design one thing that can work in different spaces and ship it around or like do something think about these things in the beginning so that to me is and and this is happening it's not just them it's like their people are printing the vinyls they're printing the graphics they're built they're doing the kind of like particle board sort of build outs it's like all that stuff is trash. It's trash the way it's made. It's tra- and then it's it's just like junk that's going to be on this planet forever and ever. And it's just not like that to me is there has to be another way. Um, we we do something that we call informal shop, which is basically is like a version of a pop up shop, but it's more you know it's more based on what are the resources that we have available at our fingertips right now to open the shop. Say someone says, Hey, yeah, come use my face for a pop-up shop. It's like, okay, what can we do? What do we have at our fingertips right now that we can use? What do you have in the space? What can we find locally? Like what's the, 
you know, what can we do that, that is sort of just very, it's more inspired by like, you know, I'm like looking out the window at Alvarado right now in MacArthur Park and it's like, it's more inspired by people that are there sitting on tarps with like a little stool selling stuff on the sidewalk. It's like, go to where people are, put out your stuff, sell the stuff, pack it. It's like old school merchandising, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. that to me is more, more of a signal of what would work better for the future. You know, Um, again, these things aren't, aren't like, they, I think they can, there's ways to scale these kinds of concepts, but I think that they it's it's you know it's a creative problem that like will be fun to sort of figure this puzzle out, and it'll be it'll be hard to do it without sort of taking away the personality and charm or or the kind of personalization of it, you know. But I think that there there are ways to I think there are ways to do it, and we're just you know we're kind of thinking it through now. There is no problem more global or more prevalent than the environment. And unless drastic changes are made, it stands to stay that way for a long, long time. Now more than ever, people are looking to brands to take action and to help them do their part. If we take everybody world as an example, that also means rethinking a lot. From how products are created and consumed to how they're marketed to the public. From a marketing standpoint, There are a few better brand stories to tell in 2019 than the ones about a business changing to be more sustainable. Not only do these stories build immediate brand affinity, they lay the groundwork for the years ahead. There is no doubt that ethics and environmentalism will continue to be top of mind for consumers in the coming years. The brands that align themselves accordingly now are simply investing in their future. 